We hear from this pulpit each Sunday the good news, the promise of resurrection. Here it is that we learn to see what is holy, to uncover evidence of Easter life found in the darkness of loss and suffering. But today, like no other day, we must place that darkness in the foreground of our attention. Not because we abandon our hope for new life, but because we can truly know resurrection only by taking account of the stark and painful reality of death. A few days ago, a minister was quoted in a Little Rock paper talking about how he finds Good Friday services to be drab. It's like they're trying to depress you through dark sermons and sad music, he told the reporter. And I suppose that reaction is understandable. It is tempting, after all, to treat this service the way we did some things when we were kids. We didn't want to hear what someone had to say, so we put our hands over our ears and said, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, until they quit trying to tell us. Perhaps today, if we just daydream about something else long enough, the passion narrative will be over, and we won't really have to think about that. Nobody likes Good Friday even if it is called good. It is not a thing to like. But in the presence of the holy, what we may like or dislike dissolves into irrelevance. We are left with nothing to do except to let the mystery of Christ's death wash over us in love. There is a short story written by William Trevor about a woman named Emily who lived on a farm in Ireland with her husband. After 23 years of marriage, he died. And it turns out he had been a hard man to live with. On the evening of his death, two women who were sisters came to see Emily. They were the Garretys. And their role in the community, their ministry, was to sit with the dying. When they arrived at Emily's house, they didn't know that he was already dead. There was nothing for them to do, it seemed. The only thing left was for the undertaker to come the next morning. And Emily didn't really know them, so she politely discouraged them from staying. But they stayed anyway, through most of the night, as the man's body lay above them, stiffening in the bedroom upstairs. And what the sisters realized as they sat with Emily was that even though Emily's husband was already dead, it was also the case that Emily was dying in her own way too. Not just of grief like that of any widow, but dying of resentment over 23 years lost to the loneliness of life with this heartless man. Dying, the story shows, takes many forms. And those sisters had learned to sit through all of them. But by the end of the story, something surprising happens. In the hour before sunrise, moments after the sisters had gotten back in their car to go home, Emily became aware, the narrator tells us, of a stirring in her senses. Her tiredness afflicted her less. A calm possessed her. She sat a little while longer, then pulled the curtains back 
and the day came in. In sitting with the dying, it turns out, those sisters were in fact, at the very same time, serving as midwives to the birth of Emily's new life. Good Friday is a hard thing, but it invites us into just this mystery of death. It calls us to be those who sit with a dying Jesus, to watch quietly in the night, to bear witness to the power of death in our own lives and others, so that as Easter dawns, we may sense the stirrings of new life. Amen.